0: and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. This is Manchester United under Ole Gunnar Solskjaer.
2: Manchester United have produced the impossible. Welcome to United Hour, your one-stop shop for all things Manchester United. I'm your host, Nick. And I'm Imran. Two of us here. We are recording lunchtime, the day after the Europa League final. Obviously, we're not in the best of spirits. I am also slightly hungover. I have to say. Um, yeah, look, I mean, Imra was a disappointing one, right? Everything, you know, the, everything has been going towards this. Uh, I did the last pod the other day, and we said, look, you know, it's been a good league season, but really, Ole needs that final win to really silence all the doubters and unfortunately he hasn't got it so yeah this morning i've heard plenty on whether it's talk sport twitter or whatever you know a lot of the ole doubters coming out and saying oh we told you so uh so yeah you know let's look at the match first and then obviously we'll delve deeper into bigger things about the squad about ole and what it means going forward um but look let's just kickoff with looking back at what was a pretty dour match. There isn't that much to go deep into. Um but you know, straight off from the lineup there was a lot of talk pre-match about who was gonna start and all. And for me it was quite a shock that he started with that kind of Muck Pogba
1: rather than Muck Fred. Uh I mean were you surprised by that? I was, but then I think with the knowledge that Fred was injured or carrying a knock mm-hmm. and hadn't trained, then I guess it became more apparent why he'd gone for that. Uh, The question, I guess, is if Fred had been fully fit, would he have gone with that? I would think he probably would have gone with Fred and McTominay and had Mason on the bench, uh, but that's just a guess. But um, I think I was quite happy with it, to be honest with you. I felt like with Villarreal just going to sit back in the game, I didn't feel like we had a need for Fred and McTominay. And that kind of showed, really. Villarreal weren't doing much and were kind of relying on set pieces, which is what they go go from anywhere. And then once they scored, they literally had a back six. So I don't really see what Fred and McDominay like would bring you in that sort of circumstance. And you'd think, yeah, put Pogba deep to get on the ball. Unfortunately Pogba just kinda of let the game pass him by. Um didn't really grab the game by the scruff of the neck at all. If any of them it was McDominay who grabbed the, the, the game by the neck and probably was one of our best player on the night. So yeah, that was a surprise. And I think also Ollie probably would have wanted Mason to come off the bench.
2: Uh, yeah, I agree with that. I mean and that's you know, on the last pod when we talked about who's gonna start, that's what I expected to be. Uh and like you, I think if everybody had been fit that I don't think he would have gone with this lineup. I mean, it is, though, it's a lineup that people have been crying out for. You know, there's a lot of, lot of people who are against that McFred. They say it's too defensive, too cautious. And so many people said, look, play Pogba with either Fred or with McTominay. And then, you know, we can have, in theory, our strongest attacking lineup with Rashford, with Greenwood, with Bruno, with Cavani. And, you know, it's kind of exciting when you see it, but it just didn't really work out, did it? Um, but, yeah, that is, you know, there is a big question mark over Pogba. And where, what is his best position? And personally, yeah, I do like him better in a more attacking role. And like you say, he just did not influence the game enough from that position yesterday. And But he wasn't the only one. You know, Bruno has very little seen yesterday. And, you know, Rashford has kind of had an off month or so. You know, there's a bit of blame on injuries and stuff. Whereas the likes of Bruno and Pogba don't really have that excuse.
1: I just think... I mean, all our big players had a really quiet game and can't really have that in a final. I think Bruno, I think they they did a job on Bruno a bit. They were getting tight to him and restricting his space. Plus, I mean, there was barely any space between their their back and their midfield. So Bruno was always going to have a bit of a difficulty. But he did come into the game a bit more than the other two. Rashford was just, well, probably his, maybe his worst game of the season, really. An absolutely dreadful performance by him and his standards. And I don't think anything he did really came off. There was one or two, like okay passes in the second half but really poor on the ball and then I thought Pogba was just as bad in the sense that from what you expect like he wasn't as negatively affecting the game as Rashford was but he also just was letting it pass him by and wasn't getting involved as much like Rashford had the ball so much and kept on being terrible whereas Pogba but I like can barely remember him having the ball and just doing anything at all with it and then you saw like Scott McDominie in the second half really went for it, was driving forward and Pogba was just kinda of going, Yeah, I'm getting the ball, probably a couple of really sloppy passes. Doing that bad thing that Pogba does where he attracts too many players to him and loses the ball, he did that a couple of times and it was just, it was just that the Pogba that you don't like to see really on the pitch. Well, that
2: that was the problem, like you say, that out of the two, the one who you want to be sitting deeper. Is McTominay, And the one who you want to be pushing forward from that position is Pogba, where it was the other way around. Uh, You know, Pogba was looking at my favorite average position charts. And yeah, Pogba is the one who sat deeper Mm. than McTominay, whereas he's the one who's trying to push on. Um, Also, very clear by looking at the average position charts, just how deep Villarreal sat. Uh, You know, this was a full, full bus park, uh,
1: you know, low block to use the technical words. Um, Mm. But we knew that was going to happen, didn't we? we? we like, did. All they had to be prepared for that, and we knew that they were going to try and score from a set piece, and obviously that's our weakness. I think they probably knew it was our weakness, and they. I think like in the second half they were trying some crazy set piece routines. Obviously it's something they worked on during the week. Uh, I don't know why their set piece routine wasn't just let's stick it under Gea, but that's that's for them to to sort out. But yeah. That was going to be their game plan. That was always going to be the problem. They were going to sit deep and we we're going to have to try break them down. And that was the story of the game.
2: Yeah, and I mean, there were so many things in this match. I mean, this match was basically like a microcosm of our whole season. Uh, you know, we had that going one down, coming back better in the second half, but we didn't finish it off by getting the win as we have done op- often this season. Uh, we also had giving away a set-piece goal. We also had the team struggling against a very defensive team. You know, we've seen this kind of thing, whether it's West Brom, whether it's even just Fulham last week, uh, time and time again. And then, you know, the other big issue, and, you know, even as someone who is a supporter of Ole, and yeah, I still think he's done enough this season to be back going into next season my biggest issue has still always been in game management and substitutions and again uh, you know it's something which is definitely a problem definitely Mm -hmm. an issue that needs to be addressed Um, you know when you look at the two teams You see, I mean, that's actually, you know, when uh, we came in the second half, started better as we have done, get the equaliser. And Emery actually made a really interesting move. He takes off their centre forward backer. And brings off a de- brings on a defensive midfielder, Francis Cockerland. That's at one-one. So that just showed you everything of what their game plan was. He was literally from that hour mark of the match already playing for penalties, mm. or hoping for something from a set piece. Like you say, they'd obviously had loads of focus on the set pieces. Even when we've had Harry Maguire in the team, it's been an issue for us. So without him there, that was a massive problem. Um, I mean, we put out some polls pre-match and axel to Unzebe had like 65 percent of people had wanted him to start this game uh something only like 15 percent were backing by and there were still 20 odd percent who were hoping of hoped that harry mcguire made it and yeah i too was hoping that axel would start not necessarily as well, because I think he's a much better better, better player than Bay, but just because he's comfortable to play on the left side, it means Lindelof can stay on the right side where he's more comfortable and plays usually. Uh, and that's one of the problems in when you end up playing lindelof Bay is that Lindelof moves out to the left where he's not played as often. Bay comes in and, you know, in the end, we give away that goal and it is Lindelof again. Uh, you know, I've said, I'm not a fan of his all season. I've said that he is a weak link of ours. And yet again, he is the one who lets us down in that situation. Um, But yeah, I mean, of course you can put it down to the team as well. I mean, do you totally put that goal on Lindelof or is it just generally our team is just not defending?
1: I mean, I think if Maguire's in the team, that goal also gets conceded just on the basis of, like you said, when Maguire's in the team, we still concede from set pieces. It's nothing new. Um, it's a it's a really good delivery, is what should be said. It's a fantastic delivery from them from that side. Uh, Moreno is in front of Shaw, and so people would say maybe, well, Shaw should follow him, but we mark zonally, so mm. Shaw shouldn't follow him across because then he's just getting into other people's zones, and that's not how we defend. And that's why you come back to the merits of zonal versus man marking. For me, if you're a deep free kick like that, I would prefer to go man, but we work zonal, and that's fine. So then the problem there is that there's a massive gap between Lindelof and Bailly, um, which Moreno basically just runs into. And it's it's a really like, it's a, it's a large gap. So you basically giving Lindelof a, a big zone to mark and our line isn't great. And, Lin, and our line drops deeper quicker than Lindelof drops deeper. And so he has a slow start to defend the set piece. And basically he's just got too much to do at that point because Moreno's in front of him. He's set off late. He's obviously not the quickest either. And yeah, Moreno's then just wants it more and bullying him a bit and Lindelof doesn't get anywhere near him or the ball and then, yeah, it's, that's that's it. And it's it's annoying because we know he's their main goal for X-Cup. That like was his 30th goal of the season, which is a fantastic return. And you just think, I mean, be switched on a bit more. You could say, should Shaw be screaming at Lindelof to mark him? Maybe he did. We don't really know. Uh, I don't know if I've seen the angle where we can see Shaw's mouth. Um, but yeah, it's just poor. I think... I mean, if Maguire's in there, I would say the only thing that might be different was Maguire might try haul him down or you know, do his Maguire tussle where it looks like. I think to Maguire would
2: definitely be stronger in that yeah, he'd position. Be stronger,
1: But whether he gets to it first, who knows? And if Jones was in there, you know, it'd be an own goal. So that would have been, <laughs> been yeah. more interesting. But I, I, it's a very good delivery. And it's just, once again, just a poor organization at the start. Like our defenders have to be a bit close together there and our line has to move a lot more in sync. Like it's, it dropped, I think the, the the left-hand side of it dropped a lot quicker than the right-hand side. So the line was all out of sync. Like you've got to hold a good line there, especially if you're de- de- defending that high.
2: I mean, I, you know, you said oh, we're playing zonally, that's fine. And for me at this point, it's not fine. Like at this point, there has to be a major change in what's going on in our defensive organization. Uh, You know, we, I was going to say we're top of the list of goals conceded from set pieces. We're actually not, it's leads, but we're still conceded a ridiculous amount of goals time and time again from set piece situations. And it just, you know, shows you that there's something wrong there. And that Mm. definitely does go just down to what's going on in coaching, how things are set up. Uh, You know, we've got, players who are experienced and whatever in our coaching setup, but none of them are actually defenders, whether it's Carrick, whether it's Phelan, obviously Ole, uh, midfielders and uh, more attacking players. So I don't know if somebody on the more defensive side needs to be brought in, but it's clearly a major, major problem time and time again, Mm. we're giving away points. And this time it's cost us an actual trophy because yeah, apart from that, Villarreal had nothing. Um, you know, every chance they had pretty much was from a set piece. And I did worry every time they had a set piece yeah, that we honest, weren't going to consider time. again. Uh, you know, and they had loads. They were almost like just playing for set pieces. They were literally, you could see sometimes they'd be in positions where they might get across. And it was almost as if they preferred to kick it off the player and have a corner yeah. rather than actually cross it into the box. Because it was a, they thought that they were more likely to get it from a corner rather than an
1: open play.
2: And he uh, liked Contact, like they
1: would go down just to get that free kick so they can toss it in like it was clearly their strategy and and f- like that is a f- perfectly valid strategy to play when you're playing against us we cannot defend St. piece. and you're right really at this point even if they got the best intentions in the world with this i mean it's we kind of go zonal but they especially on corners we go zonal but then a couple of people mark the player and then it's kind of a combination of the butt of the two of them and at this point you've just got to say like let's just rip it up and go back to super basics man 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 and then we'll, let's let's build from there. Because obviously whatever we're doing now just isn't working. And you'd think, why don't, we just, why don't we just go back to it, man, man. And then we'll see how we go from there. And if that doesn't work, then we can build on that. But this, this just needs to be ripped up and thrown away.
2: Yeah, I totally agree with that. You know, by this point, you know that it's just not happening. And there has to be a new plan, fresh way of looking at how we're defending. And yeah, for me, man to man is the way. I mean, personally... I've been a defender for years and I've always favoured man marking, but you know, that's zonal works for plenty of teams as well. There's nothing about zonal or man marking that's inherently better than another, but by now zonal way is obviously just not working for us and uh, I mean, the, something the, needs to happen there.
1: The benefits of the, also the benefits of zonal is that you can, you can get your own run on the ball to head it. If it's coming into your zone, whereas if your man then you're technically your man who you're marking because they'll move first. They have the a slight edge on the run, but then the benefits of man marking is you can put you can do more to put them off on their run because you are tight to them or you should be tight to them, and you can do a bit more to obstruct their run or like tussle with them. Whereas if you're doing zonal they, and they get a free run, then it and, and ultimately a lot of the time they do get a free run just because of how poorly whoever because it's usually our weaker players who are up against the man. Hmm. So like Wan-Bissaka or um, Rashford will be up against the man, and then the zone will be taken by the, the the better headers of the ball. But as soon as they lose that man, then they've got a free running head at the ball, and it, it becomes difficult. Even if you're marking zone, if the ball's good enough, and they've got a run, that that they're going to be favourites to win it.
2: Yeah, totally. And look, let's see what we can do about that. I mean, I've said as like I said time and time again for me that centre back is should be a priority for us this summer. Yeah. Um, And, you know, by signed a new contract. And some people have taken that to be that we're not going to be getting a centre-back. But for me, that is still something that we definitely need to look at. Mm. Uh, You know, especially when Harry Maguire is out, you see the difference. I mean, like I say, thankfully, Villarreal didn't really trouble us that much. It's not like De Gea had saves to make and all. And if we actually look at the XG, I mean, there was such a low amount of chances. Uh, It was interesting to actually see it broken down half by half in the first half you know, they've obviously scored their goal, but, um, going by XG, they were lucky to get that goal. Cause yeah, it's an 0.67, uh, XG for their goal. Ah, oh, this is absolute pathetic. 0.09 from the first half. Like literally we didn't have anything at all. Um, but you know, that, Isn't that surprising because we've seen this, like I said, it's a pattern we've seen all season where we're slow starting in the first half, not creating that much, and then we come into its second half. I mean, yeah, it looks slightly better in our favor when you look at the 90-minute XG. Villarreal at 0.75, showing that they created zero in the second half, and we're at 1.06, so which is basically our goal that came. And we did have a couple of other chances. Again, we didn't test the goalie much. There were openings here and there. Mm. I mean... They're they're what you call half chances and a better last ball or a bit of composure, uh, you know, is what we really needed in those moments. But it just didn't really come. And, you know, I saw, for example, that Bruno didn't create any chances in this game, which is so rare for him. Uh, You know, he's normally pulling out something from somewhere. And it was Rashford, Shaw, who were the ones who were still trying to make things happen, even though they were off it. But, yeah, they were the two who were still. Creating chances, but not really coming to enough. Uh, I mean, we again had this kind of VAR. I hate you know sat in the as I said, first time in a long time I've watched a match in a pub. Uh, for any of our kind of global audience, the UK have just allowed people back inside pubs and restaurants and all last week. So yeah, at least there was a bit of atmosphere and yeah, for a novelty, first time this year. Being back watching a football match in the pub, but you get that thing where the goal went in and then we wait for the VAR and everything, but uh, you know, thankfully it was given um and then yeah you thought we could push on from there like i said that had been our pattern all year right go one behind mm. come at half time come back get that equalizer and go on to win it but uh yeah it kind of fizzled out from then as i said earlier it, i think a lot of credit does go to emery who's winning this tournament for a ridiculous fourth time um that he makes that change. at Five minutes after we score our goal, he takes out a striker, brings on a defensive midfielder. And I don't know if you saw this. There was actually, I saw Villarreal fans in the stands with their heads in their hands. They were so pissed off at this move that he's taking out a striker and bringing on a defensive midfielder with like a full half hour of this game left. But it nullified us after that. We didn't, mm. you know, we didn't make that number of cha- chances that we normally have after
1: going up, you know, and we looked like we were coming out on the front foot and could go on to get that goal I thought yeah we were, we were working hard and we were harrying them um, trying to get the ball back quickly trying to press them high up the pitch which was fine it's just when we got the ball we weren't really doing enough with it to create any chances or create any openings It, re- I mean the fact that Rashford had such an off day and that Pogba had such an off day and even Cavani on the ball wasn't great and I think when and, and obviously like Bruno just wasn't creating and when that happens when all those players just having off days or really really bad days then it was just going to be we were just going to struggle really to get in and as, as we saw I mean the goal was just so scrappy really bad shot deflection onto McTominay onto Cavani and that's the sort of thing we were after really like shooting through hordes of players because we weren't going to create a clear chance I think that we did create the Rashford chance but I think I think that would have been pulled back for offside I think it looked like Bruno was offside in the opening but I haven't seen it again but yeah, it was just, it was really disappointing. And that's when, especially like as we ran and ran and we, we were, I mean, our players were really putting in the effort to get that ball back, but then it told by, they were just absolutely knackered about 80 minutes. We were dead on our feet and the the lack of changes just, just mystified me. I, it really annoyed me. Like you can say, oh, we don't have quality on the bench, but that's, that's nonsense really. Like we just saw our quote-unquote second team, do quite well on the weekend on Sunday. Uh-huh. Like, yeah. putting some decent performances against the Wolves side, who, I'll tell you what, Wolves probably aren't any worse than Villarreal, let's be honest. I mean, yes, Villarreal are playing for more in this game. But I'm I, that Wolves side on Sunday are probably, like, just as good as the Villarreal side at the end of the game. And then you're looking at Villarreal, they're bringing on players from their bench who wouldn't get nowhere near our side. And we've got players on our bench who would probably walk into that Villarreal side like Van der Beek would be in that. Like Juan Mata would probably leave the club. Villarreal is probably the type of club that he would he would go to. Mm. And you're mm. just thinking, yes, yeah, Oli trusts his, his quote-unquote big players, but when they're, they're so abject and they're knackered, what's the point? What is the point in leaving Rashford on? And Pogba on when you can bring on Van der Beek, you can you bring on Matter? And it could be something different. Like we know they like to be intricate around the box. Maybe that's what we need. We need a little bit of intricacy around the box. Just something different. It can't be. It cannot be any worse than what was on the pitch. It can't. It can't be. And the fact that he brought Mason off instead of Rashford was a bit crazy because Mason was actually having a decent game, and well, wasn't abject. And it,
2: it, I think he was maybe already thinking about penalty shootouts, which that
1: is point. crazy. It's crazy yeah. to be thinking about penalty shootouts at that time. Because there's a whole extra time. There's a whole extra time. We we are Man United. We should not be looking to win this game on penalties. We should. It, oh, it just it just really annoys me because we should be wanting to win that game in extra time. As it turned out, that extra time for us was just where can we get a rest?
2: yeah where, that where, half an hour of extra I and mean, again as i said see the xg stats broken down bit by bit so for the whole half hour of extra time we managed to create 0.05 kind of, I mean, of a chance it is, uh, and villa weren't much better they were at like 0.1 uh, so you know the whole half an hour of extra time was a total, we just, total just waste of half an hour and yeah you're right it's like i said as soon as like you know we finished that ninety minutes i said we've got to go for this in extra time because we all know that David De Gea is never getting anywhere near any penalty because we've seen it time and time again. We know how poor his penalty record is. I think they said like 40 penalties now for club and country in the last five years that he has not managed to save one of them, uh, which is kind of bizarre, especially for a goalie who's known for shop being, who's known for quick reactions. I've never quite worked out why he is so bad at penalties. But His technique? it's
1: it's all do not know. Yes.
2: I don't know. I think, it's all, I think it's a lot of it is mental as well. Like, after all this time, like, you know, they say a lot of penalties is about the mental side. And he clearly just doesn't have it for whatever reason. Like, even just the law of averages, you just think you'd save mm-hmm. one by then. Uh, I mean, I remember, like, back in the day, Ron Atkinson always used to say, just stand in the middle and you'll save one out of five. Just don't move. Stand in the middle. You'll save one out of five. And probably yesterday, if David had done that, I think probably two went straight down the middle. And he would out of the way of both of them and it's not too crazy a thing to say Look, if you're not good at them just bloody stay in the middle and one of them maybe somebody has a go at Panenka or something like that um, but yeah look uh, so yeah I mean I do have this say it is my biggest frustration with Ole and you know for two years I've been defending Ole and always behind him but that think one is like more about just general squad management and rotation Uh, because you know I think there is a big question mark over are the likes of Rashford Bruno is it burnout of just playing too much over the whole season Um, you know Rashford has been off form even Bruno as well has been pretty quiet for the last two maybe even three months like you know he's still Hmm. getting the odd goal assist there but those two like you know people forget quickly that the start of the season they were both on fire and from kind of the start of the season till Christmas they were the ones who were bailing us out week after a week with the goals and assists Uh, you know thankfully in the last couple of months Mason and Cavani have been chipping in but in the early part of the season it was only Bruno and Rashford but they both played crazy amount of minutes and you know that part of it goes down to that um i mean the other big question mark is all about momentum uh, you know we were finishing the season pretty well and then we had this weird time with the postponed game against liverpool then having to play three matches in a row uh, twice thrown in a kind of b team and i don't know whether we just lost that momentum in that period and that's where it's just ended up i mean i saw gary neville saying that you know it's difficult to just turn on and off and if you're not really pushing in like top form in the right place mentally it's difficult to just do it Uh, so don't know whether that's what was going on you know we had this match against Fulham uh, that was like 1-1 it's difficult to talk too much about the Wolves because like you said that was a B team so the last time our kind of first team played was a week ago against Fulham and it was a poor performance we didn't create that much it was 1-1 and it's the same kind of story really and
1: it's just continued into this game I don't know. I feel I feel like the management up to this game has been fine. I feel like that ridiculous schedule already did like the 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 best he could with it and ultimately, yeah, our performances will drop off when we know there's a final coming up and you don't wanna you don't want to get injured for that final and you know we've got top four and there's nothing to play for yeah, there will be a drop of five percent that's just that is just going to happen. but if you can't get up for a final, then what business do they have been at man United like get up for the final it's the final. And honestly, I don't even think that was the problem. I just think it was, I mean, they were working hard. Like so they were, especially in that second half, we were really sprinting around the place trying to get the ball back. Even Rashford, who was having a terrible game, was like doing quite well to win the ball back. Same with Cavani. But it was just the actual quality on the ball that was poor. And yeah, just the the in game management from all to to be so restrictive and almost fearful in taking off these big players. Like you've got like if they're not playing well, you have to take them off. And you cannot tell me that if Alex Ferguson was in charge yesterday that we would have gone 100 minutes without making a substitution. Absolutely no chance. And Sir Alex Ferguson has used subs way below the quality of what we had on the bench yesterday. So there is absolutely no no chance it would have gone the same. And it's just a tired player is poorer than a fresh player. Like especially at the state we were last night. And like, extra time, nothing was happening. Absolutely nothing. And to to see us play for penalties, it reminded me of, there was a game under Moyes um, in the League Cup semi-final, Sunderland at home. Yeah, I and was actually
2: pl- going to bring this up because I was, were you in the stadium that I day? Was. I was. And it yes, was one, was one of the most
1: frustrating experiences of my life to watch us play. I think it was one all at 90 minutes and we had the ball in the corner playing for playing for the extra time. And I was like, that's, that's weird, but okay. And then, extra time we again started playing for penalties and we're playing Sunderland at home and it was just one of the most maddening things I think I've I've ever seen and this reminded me of that like we're we are the far superior side to Villarreal there's no question and we are playing into their hands they if you would ask them they 100% wanted penalties 100% oh yeah definitely as I said
2: from like the hour mark they made a change of taking out a striker for a defensive midfielder they were already playing for penalties at like the 60 minute mark Mm. in normal time and yeah you're right it had to come from us and I do see this bit of argument where people will say that you know Ole has not been backed enough that there's not enough of a squad but I think that that goes a bit too far and I agree with you that even if it's matter even if it's van der Beek they can do something different even if it's just fresh legs just yeah. you know try, try something different and I also can't do think as well Yeah, I mean, even if it's James, like, you know, just let them, let him, I mean, he's actually not the right one, to be honest. But then I say, like, you know, Ahmad, every time I see Ahmad, he looks like the player who could just do something random and, like, manage to get Mm. an assist or a goal from somewhere, throw him in. You know, back in the day, you think of somebody like Alex Ferguson out the blue, when, like, the squad was slightly looking tired, whatever, said, right. Kiko Makeda, somebody just nobody heard of. I'm going to bung him in. And, you know, the kid throws in a couple of, like, winning goals in the last minutes. And they're like, never heard from again after, like, a year or so. But he did his bit. And, uh, you know, I think somebody like Ahmad could have been somebody like that. Uh, and, yeah, it, it definitely is too cautious from Ole... Too loyal to his kind of first team when then still not doing it. And yeah, that is one of the biggest criticisms that has to go has to change. It's next funny, season.
1: Actually. All our money we spent in the summer on transfer fees and in January it was on the bench. So, yeah, I mean Cavani he was a well, free, he transfer, was free transfer. Guess, but yeah, so the other three players we bought, Telez even like tell, like Telez, put Teles on for Luke Shaw, have him whip some balls in. Why not? Like it, yeah. Shaw was—he's been our probably one of our best players of the season, but he was knackered. I think he was—I think he picked up a knock as well. And I don't imagine anyone thinks Shaw's a great penalty taker after that penalty he took yesterday. So I'd like just put Teles on something different. He can wang in a ball. He's taken—I think we scored a couple from his corners this season. Why? Yeah, not? yeah, no, it's just, I it's agree just with Just something that. different, and and yeah. And just... if you compare, uh, Villa Real
2: had made five subs by and ninety minutes. You could tell. And, yeah, they made five six. subs. I mean, they changed their half the team, haven't they, by the end of the game? Yeah, yeah. Six subs in total, five subs in the 90, whereas we didn't even mm. make the first one until the 100th minute. That's and crazy. then All they did end up making five subs, but uh, the two of them were right at the end just literally right end. to come on. I
1: don't know if Tellez touched the ball apart no, he from taking his penalty. I think Mata touched it with his head, and uh, t- which is actually quite impressive that Mata and Tellez managed to score their penalties so well, considering they hadn't even touched the ball yet. Uh, but you could tell that you could tell the practice penalties the, with the way their players were taking those penalties. I mean, superb penalties, pretty much all of them. I think there was only one that I thought De Gea might be able to save. Um, I, there was a couple that were down the middle. middle. Yeah, but I think the problem with De Gea is he he goes, he either goes really early, like stupidly early, or he goes really late. And therefore, and and either when he goes both super early or super late, he doesn't fully extend his dive. Because of his foot movement on the line, he doesn't extend himself. and He doesn't get right into the corner on any of his dives. And the only reason you'd go super early is so you can get a really good reach on your dive. But he doesn't do that. He dives, but then just goes down and covers about two-thirds of the way. It's a very poor technique. And I think, yeah, people will say, you know, a lot of those were unsavable. And they were, like the ones that are roofed. But what I would say is... If you're a player coming up to take a penalty and you've watched David De Gea just fall to the ground and you know, you pretty much know that if you get it on target, not even right in the corner, but near enough to the corner, you are going to score. That's going to help you in your penalty taking and you're going to be a bit more relaxed and calm about it. And you could tell because you don't have to put it... If you have a keeper who is in front of you and you think, I've got to put this right in the corner to score, that plays on your mind then. That worries you. But I don't think De Gea... Worried dead players at all to the point where I was looking at this and I was thinking, Right, I am not praying for De Gea to save this, I'm praying for them to miss the target, I'm praying for someone to hit the bar because I have zero confidence in De Gea mm. saving it. Yeah, and, totally. And I guess it comes back to this idea of, Well, do you bring on Henderson? Which I mean. <sighs> This kind of, it became a thing because of Van Hal, right? In, yeah, from uh, in that World, World Cup, Cup. Which I think he was like the first person to do it. Maybe someone did it before, but that's kind of where it became popularised. But it's not really a done thing. Like, nobody brings on the keeper specialist for penalties. Chelsea tried to do it and then Kepper said no, uh, which was funny. Um, but Ole did say that he, it had played on his mind. Which mm. makes me think that he therefore, if it's played on his mind, he therefore knows that it's De Gea is a great penalty taker. Mm. And to me, therefore, the resolution there is if it can't be an instant it can't be an instinct thing. He can't have just on impulse gone, right, I'm gonna put Henderson on. It has to be something that's planned beforehand. It has to be, right, Henderson, you're gonna practice penalties all week. And if it goes to penalties, David, you're coming off and Henderson's coming off. We have all agreed this now. That's what it's gotta be.
2: I mean that it's worth happen, saying that you so... know, you mentioned that uh, that Sunderland uh was the League Cup semi final, wasn't it? Yeah. That is actually the last time David De Gea has been in net for us in a penalty shootout. And he did actually save two penalties that day. Oh, did he? Uh, but if you remember our penalties were awful that day and it actually out of five penalties each side it ended up 2-1 uh, at least our penalty and, take
1: has improved since then
2: well I and you actually remember that day Phil Jones stepping up yep. for a penalty and it was one of the worst penalties I've seen in my life and you know and like I said we only scored one out of five and Sunderland only scored two out of five so yeah compared to that I'd say yesterday was like the highest quality set of penalties I've seen in my life like uh, you know credit to all the players there and some of our players as well that you really when they stepped up i was like oh my god like you know fred's mm. taking a penalty oh my god axel's gonna Axel, take a penalty Axel the one. and like but... they just smashed them in with like no problem so like big credit to the penalty side um and uh, i do you remember this is actually the second penalty shootout that ole's had for us do you remember what the other one was was it was it derby It wasn't Derby. We did have one against Derby a couple of years ago. That was, was, uh, I think that was Jose. Right. And yeah, it was Jose. And it was versus Frank Lampard. Yeah. In fact, and that one went to something crazy. Yeah, like, that was a that was a good high standard of penalties as well. And I th- I feel like Phil Jones missed in that one as well. It was it was in fact it was nine ten that one, and it was Phil Jones yeah. who missed the tenth one that day. Um, but yeah, De Gea was not in net; it was Romero. So the last time De Gea was in net for us was that Sunderland one. Then Ole, we had a penalty shootout against Rochdale like two years ago. We did in two thousand and nineteen. We won, didn't we? We won, and again, every one of our players scored um, that day. It was Mata, Pereira,
1: Fred, Mason, and James who scored all their penalties. I thought um, I'd seen James take a penalty before. That's why I wasn't. That's why I wasn't worried about James. The only people I worried, was worried about taking the penalty was Axel and Luke Shaw. But because Luke Shaw, they kind of made him move the ball, and I was thinking, oh, and he did take a terrible penalty to play Luke Shaw. Our, our two worst penalties were from Luke Shaw and Bruno Fernandes. Our two best players of the season. So that was interesting. Bruno's penalty yeah. should have been saved. It was a—he hit it right into the floor. Yeah, his was one of the
2: weakest ones. Um, but yeah, that last penalty shootout against Rochdale, Romero was also in net. And then we had one penalty shootout in the middle where Grant ended up in net because, um, in fact, that was the Derby one. It was, uh, Grant ended up in net for that because Romero was sent off in the game. Yeah. Um, So, yeah, that has been our kind of, since, yeah, we've been in four penalty shootouts in the kind of post-Fergie era, uh, all in the League Cup. And uh, like I say, yeah, we've not had that great a record in them. And that's why I was not looking forward to it. I mean, I do still have, obviously, good memories of penalty shootouts. And it's always, you know, (laughs) that goes back to Moscow 2008, which is obviously the highlight of uh, penalties ever. You know, us following United and England, penalties is always something that we never, never look forward to. Uh, But on both sides, you know, I say credit to Ole that the players are obviously practicing the penalties and banging them away. It's two penalty shootouts. Under him, that you know everybody scored until it gets to De Gea, and uh, just an absolute killer for him, really. I mean, yeah, I,
1: I mean, I'm not going to blame him for not scoring a penalty. Like, I'm th- that can happen. He's a goalkeeper. I, I don't really expect him to take a penalty. I didn't expect their player to blood their goalkeeper to absolutely roof their penalty. That was crazy. Um, but yeah, did, I'm not going to blame him for that. That can happen. It's just, it's just on the saving. The saving. Even if he. I feel like his if his technique was better, if he was doing more in the goal, he would do more to put the other players off. As it was, I feel like he was basically giving him a free shot. Um I honestly was thinking, if this goes round again, I don't know who's gonna miss. Like it could this we could have been going all night. So I did have a feeling that when De Gea stepped up, he might have missed. But it's interesting actually, if you think about it, so De Gea came back in net for this one, sort of because Henderson became our Premier League goalkeeper, which mm. I was I was fine with. But he also reinstated De Gea for the Chelsea game last year, semi final. Oh yeah. Yeah. And yeah. He cost him then really as well, if you think about it. Like that game, De Gea had a shocker and he wasn't our cupkeeper and he just came in and Yeah, and everybody actually felt really sorry for Romero at the time. Yeah. And De Gea just had a shocker and, and that's twice now that Ole's kind of backed De Gea in the end of season big game and mm. he's come up short. Yeah, so yeah, it just makes it you is. wonder: Will he do it again, or is that if if that if that is it for De Gea? Now it is a very sad way to end his uh, end his his career at United. I was thinking actually in my head, the perfect way for this to end would have been De Gea to score his uh, Moreno. To step up again and miss, which would never happen. I think Moreno's like hundred percent penalty record this year. But say you did miss, and then Juan Matz scored the winning penalty. That was that was my dream scenario. <laughs> yeah, that would have been beautiful. Um, it's it's just a gutting way to lose as well as penalties, isn't it? Like especially when you've been the better team. It's like that um, that Arsenal FA Cup final in two thousand and five, mm. where you've you've been the better team. You are the better team. That game we absolutely dominated. I, I, you wouldn't say we dominated this game, but we were clearly the better team. I mean, we lo- dominated it in possession, yeah, but I yeah, mean, like, in terms of chances and stuff, whereas at Arsenal, when yeah. we absolutely, we just bossed them around the pitch. But, and then just to lose on penalties when you don't deserve to is just, it is a, it's a really gutting way to end the season, really. And Ollie's got a job to pick them up, but yeah, I would say in terms of Ollie, it's probably, probably his, his worst night in the dugout for me. Um, Big fan of Ollie. Think he's done a good job this season, obviously, but that last night really, really took him down a lot.
2: It did. And, you know, this is going to be the wider question now, and we will talk about this a bit more. I think maybe next week we'll do a kind of full season roundup and talk about the summer and transfers and where we're at. But Look, Ole's obviously going to be in charge next summer, uh, and next season, and we're just looking at what kind of contract renewal he's given. Um, There's a lot of people now saying, no, he shouldn't be given a new contract. This is failure. I mean you know if you look at the big picture it is actually a step forward because before everybody was talking about not getting past the semi-final and we haven't reached reached a final I mean it's still ultimately failure and not good enough for sure but yeah it's the league progress which for me is the signs that things are going well and as I said on the last show it's the big fact as well is that back-to-back finishing third and then second which hasn't happened since Ferguson you know people point to oh Mourinho got second though and you know he still got sacked but Mourinho did not do back-to-back top four seasons. He did do, you know, Champions League back to back by winning the Europa League and then coming second, and you know you can have a debate about which is a better achievement. Uh, but yeah, I think that consistency of having two years of finishing top four is something we really needed after being just such a roller coaster team for like the last six seven years. I think the, to just consistently come back and say, look, we are a top four team, and be kind comfortably it, not scrambling mm. to finish top four for the first time in a while, is a big thing. I mean. But will say, look, Ole is not, I heard it as well on the radio this morning saying, look, he's not the one, he's a bottler and whatever. And I think those things are unfair. And people should not forget that, for example, to throw out something like, you know, Jurgen Klopp lost six finals in a row. Uh, two at Dortmund, and then four finals when he first came to Liverpool, including, ironically, one to Emery in the Europa League final against when he was at, at Seville. Uh, so he lost six in a row before then winning Champions League and then winning the Premier League. So you can't like just throw a manager under the bus after one loss and that as well, like when people talk about fine margins that they're now saying, oh, Ole has to go. But they're saying that if, you know, two penalties had gone the other way and we'd won it, that they're all right with him staying. You know, it can't all be based on just one match and one shootout. Like it is a massive disappointment and he definitely needs to improve in certain areas. But I do find people go a bit too overboard on these kind of things. And mm. I, think you, I think you're I think you kind of agreeing with me, right? That, yeah, Ole's obviously staying and
1: getting another chance to take this team for, to the next step. Yeah, I don't think he should lose his job over one game. I just think it it does damage to him, I guess. Whereas I think if he won this, he really would have something in the bank. Whereas next season, if we start poorly and if it's a poor season, we don't have that, well, he won a trophy last year to fall back on and then he really will be, he might even be looking over his shoulder then. Before the game, I was, I was saying to a couple of friends that I felt like this game, it wasn't a must-win game. It was a must-not-lose game because I felt the damage from losing was worse than the benefits of winning, if that makes any sense. Like, yeah, it's nice to win a trophy, it's Europa League, but it's, it's you know, it's Europa League. Like, it's not, it's not going to be something you tell your kids about winning the Europa League. But losing this game was massive for me. Like, just the idea of losing a final, losing to a, worse, a weaker side than us, Ole not getting it right, that, that does more damage. And I think that's kind of what's happening now. Um, I think the damage from this game is quite big and Ole's got a job on to do the right stuff in the summer, um, come back from it stronger, make the team stronger, and make himself like learn from it, like you said, and ultimately just manage games better. He has to get out of the mentality that we need our big players on the pitch to produce big moments. He needs to rely on using the squad to to create moments instead, using the players at his disposal to create moments, and changing. And if he upsets someone, he upsets someone at the end of the day. If Rashford comes up and upset, big whoop. Like, You've got to, you've got to handle that as a manager, and you've got to do what's best. And you can't just be relying. Well, I'm going to leave Rashford in case he does something, which to be fair has worked in the league a lot. But there's there's only so many times he's going to do something, and the times he doesn't, you're going to look foolish. So yeah, he just needs to, he needs to he really needs to work on his in-game management. Yeah that that
2: is the big takeaway and I mean it's something as I said I remember talking at the end of last season and I was actually more focusing on squad management uh, which I think he's done a bit better at this season but still could have been done better especially in the early part of the season uh, where then you know you feel that maybe players wouldn't be reaching that kind of burnout point at this Mm. stage if they'd had rests in those those kind of early games in League Cups and uh, some of the weaker opposition where players like Rashford like Bruno shouldn't have been playing this Many minutes the whole year, and then, yeah, as you say, in game management and lack of subs and all is really telling. And I do see the argument about you know that the squad's not there and that who could have made a difference. And that was the thing about the starting lineup, where normally this season we've had either Greenwood or Pogba or Rashford have been on the bench as that kind of option to come in and be the game changer. Whereas because he started with what is in theory our best kind of attacking lineup all on the pitch, he didn't have any of them to come in. But yeah, I like I um yeah, I think we're both agreed that whether it's Matto, Ahmad, Van Der Beek, James, just throw one of them in and see what difference it makes. Um so yeah, look, like I say only has to learn from that. And he's got a summer to think about where things went wrong, how to improve it. And, you know, we will record throughout the summer when we can, uh, focusing, of course, on the transfer news. There'll be stuff going on at the Euros as well. I mean, we can have a quick chat about the transfers here. We did talk last week already, mentioned, you know, loads of links with Sancho. Uh,
1: I mean, I still, what is your number one priority position? Uh, defensive midfield and centre-back. Depends on. Ask me. Ask me on a different day. I'll tell you a different answer. <laughs> um, but there, are uh, I think. Uh, I, th- I think it was a defensive midfield until Maguire got injured. Then, centre back really ramped up. Um, I'd. I, I would love a, a, a dominant centre back next to Maguire. But then I would also love um, someone in centre midfield who would s- basically be a younger version of Matic. Younger and more agile or carrick, yeah, just that holder who's gonna we can build play from who's also got that defensive mindset as a you know can be played instead of the Fred McTominay access of box to box, Um, but then also you know you want a right winger um maybe a backup center forward and maybe a backup right back as well but all that's not going to happen but you'll take what you get but personally i think it'll be three to four players and i imagine it'll be those positions center back sent uh defensive midfield right wing and probably a backup right back
2: yeah yeah that's and what I yeah think. we are being linked in a lot of these areas already and ole has mentioned a and couple Harry of K. times <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> and harry kane and harland and, yeah. yeah look i mean i think because cavani's re-signed i think it's unlikely that our kind of links with kane and whatever are going to come to anything i think very strong links with that right side uh sancho or if there's a second option there i don't know is definitely going to happen i mean i did say though that Because there is Armad Greenwood plays there a lot, James, uh, you know, there's various people we have who can play in that role, but none of them are the right one. Uh, So for me, I still think if it's an attacking player, it has to be Sancho. For me, I still think centre-back is a higher priority than defensive mid. Not everybody agrees with that. I mean, we have a lot of midfield options. It would be the kind of, you know, holy grail to find... That one player who can do the job of Fred and McTominay uh, defensively and still do the passing as well, like we used to have for so many years with Carrick, like a prime Matic. Uh, you know, there's been a few names thrown out there. I know even Ruben Neves, who played against us for Wolves last week, uh, a couple of our podcasts, a lot of big fans of his, and Rice as well gets a lot of kind of press. So, yeah, look, we, we have to see where that goes. I mean, if it is a midfielder, then. It's got to be somebody top, 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 because like I say, we've got plenty of midfield options. So there's no point in just bringing in somebody for the sake of it. Yeah. Uh, I, there is even like a total left field option, right, that I've been thinking that may never, never happen. But I don't, you know, I saw, I listened recently actually to Matic's Man United podcast. And he was talking about how he was actually considered an attacking midfielder way into his like early 20s and only changed to being a defensive mid well around like the age of 23 24 and the other day you know the few times that Donny van der Beek has played in a midfield two I think to me that he's looked more suited there he's pretty yeah. good on the ball I think that he can I don't see how why he would be any worse like defensively whatever than
1: somebody like Carrick was for years no uh, I think that's, a... that's 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 over a bit Carrick was Exceptionally switched on defensively in terms of he was great at reading the game, but I yeah. mean he wasn't that kind of physically imposing no, th- defensive midfielder. That's because his 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 mind and his positioning meant that he didn't have to go sliding around the place. Like he could cut yeah, out that yeah. pass just because of where he stood on the pitch. I don't think I don't I don't think Vanderbeek has that sort of understanding.
0: Yeah, I, look, do think, that I do is think. think he's kind a of... central
1: midfielder. I do think like more in the mould of a McTominay. Uh, or a Pogba than a than a defensive mid is what which is what I feel like we need.
2: Yeah, yeah. Look, like I say, I know maybe it is a bit of an outlandish idea, but yeah, I was just kind of thinking about where things can go with this squad. Um, but I think yeah, most people. Are- are clear about what our kind of priorities are in the four positions. Just there's then differences of opinion over what is number one priority, what is number mm. two. Uh, but yeah, it's been good to see Ole saying himself in press conferences in the last week that look, we need two or three players. Um I do think there's way too much focus from fans on oh, you know, Ole great. He's finally said he needs two or three players as if he's not saying that to his board, like all the time anyway, does yeah, he I mean... really need, you know, people like, play on these things as if Ole hasn't said he needs plays he said he's happy with the squad why is he
1: saying that uh you know Listen, obvi- there's only one manager in the history of football who's never wanted to make transfers and that's arsene wenger everybody else in the world every football manager wants to make a million transfers all the time so whenever anyone manager says i'm happy with my squad they're just saying that to keep the squad happy but really they want to make transfers every manager wants to make transfers Totally
2: agree. And yeah, like I say, in general, I think there is almost too much focus on what players and managers say in press conferences. Uh, you know, these things are often not planned and they're just off the cuff remarks. Um, but yeah, uh, that's why I find it bizarre where all of a sudden everybody's like really happy. Oh, Ole says he needs three players. Yeah, great, great. Well done, Ole, as if, yeah. I mean, I'm sure he's absolutely saying that all the time. Yeah. But it is going to be an absolute vital summer for the club. Um I mean, there's so much stuff going off the pitch as well. We will next week, you know, and the season is finished now in terms of football, but uh, next week there is this going to be this fans forum meeting on the 4th of June where Joe Glazer will be present, even though only on Zoom for the first time in 16 years, appearing to talk directly to the fans. Um, And just in general, I don't know how much money we're going to have. There is still this question mark over covid finances that obviously we've lacked this match day revenue uh you know the Glazers mm. have never been ones to put in their own money so i am a bit worried about what kind of money we've got for this uh, summer transfer window but all the clubs obviously are going to be in a similar position and maybe we are in a better position than yeah. others just I because think, of the amount
1: of money we do make i think the fact that stadiums are now opening for for sure and i think the club can budget for fans back in next year will probably help as well
2: And we should probably bring in a bit of cash. Uh, You know, we've got a lot of players out on loan that some people might forget. I mean, obviously people know, like, say, Jesse Lingard, but there's players like Pereira, Dallo, that I can't see coming back in. And surely
1: we'll be open to offers for them. Maybe even like Marshall, maybe.
2: Yeah, well, he's the one kind of, you'd say, is part of the first-team squad who we would possibly be open to offers for. Uh, who, whether, you know, maybe he could go back to France. I don't know. Uh, he's He's been the biggest disappointment of the season. You know, he's the only hey, one. It's not
1: get to the season, the
2: season review now. Come on. Yeah, yeah. Well, like I said, he was the biggest disappointment. Um,
1: but, yeah, <clears throat>
2: I mean, the Euros are coming
1: up. Yeah, I've got a uh, question, of... Got what? a little question for you to wrap this up. Do you think Rashford deserves to start up for England now on the left hand side? Because I think it's a hard argument to have now.
2: I mean, not on his current form. And I will keep saying that for me, it's absolutely down to the fact that he's playing not fully fit. I think he takes way too much stick. Uh, partly then it's on Ole for not giving him more rest and playing him when he's even only like, you know, 75, 80%. Mm. Uh, so, you know, I do think Ole takes a bit of blame for that. Um, you know, we should not forget that Marcus Rashford has had an outstanding season in terms of goals and assists this year. Uh, you look at how many he's, and no penalties either. So he's had, actually, you look at the number of goals he scored and it is a really good season for him. But he has been way off form for, I'd say, two months now. And But yeah, as I said, I put it totally down to injury. So I don't know whether he'll get a few weeks rest and then whether he'll be ready to go. I mean, the only thing for England is that Raheem Sterling has not been in good form either and has not been getting picked for Manchester City. Um, Sancho is going to play there. So, yeah, we have to see. I think there's a lot of players who are going to go into these Euros absolutely knackered and either just, you know, is Harry Maguire going to make it? Uh, You know, other players like that. Let's see. Um, Mm. Mason Greenwood was picked at the end. I was slightly surprised that he got in there.
1: Uh, it's still only a 33, so he might not make the final cut. But I, th- you know, he- I think he will. I think he will. Just based on the fact that he's probably a bit fresher than other people. Because, like, I mean, Greenwood's basically really played half a season-ish. It feels yeah. like. Yeah, and, and he's had a strong end to the season. he's had a strong end. I feel like he will get into that. But he's definitely one of the... If he's number he probably either twenty six or twenty five, I think. But it'd be interesting. I just I just feel like for England I feel I feel like Southgate will go with Fern on the left and Sterling on the right. Even though you could argue Sterling probably also doesn't deserve to be starting for England at the moment. I feel like that's what he'll do. And well, then, if you uh,
2: go on form, then Sancho has to start because he's yeah, had a strong end to the I, season I, as well. I,
1: I feel like Sterling's just one of his his nailed on. To be fair, Rashford was for a time as well, but I guess he hasn't made the last couple of England squads. And I think his form is so down that, I'll, yeah, I wouldn't be surprised to see him lose his place again. Um, it all just depends whether he, you know, made a few weeks rest and maybe
2: he's then fully fit and ready to go. Uh, I mean, I'd say a few weeks, but it's literally like kind of what, two weeks and the whole yep. thing kicks off again. Um, so, yeah, there isn't that much time at all. Which is, yeah, not great for players like that. And, of course, we're going to have a lot of players on show there. Uh, you know, Bruno's in the Portugal squad. I saw as well that uh, Van Der Beek has been picked for Holland. Uh, a few others, yeah, Victor Lindelof. Several players will be McTominay. on show. Jamie will get
1: upset if you don't say McTominay for Scotland. Yeah,
2: McTominay. Dan James. Wales are over there. No, not, not not with Ryan Giggs in charge, of course, uh, due to various off-field issues. Yeah. But we'll yeah, we'll Dan... probably
1: get some uh, Euro podcasts out for you guys, just ca- recapping United players maybe talking England Scotland stuff like that yeah
2: yeah we will definitely keep doing some things and yeah there's always the transfer stuff to talk about as well uh, and as I say for me and there's going to be a lot of interest in what happens at this fans forum next week I'm not expecting anything groundbreaking, it's clearly like a PR exercise to try and keep the fans happy, uh, but I have seen a lot of stuff online where people don't really understand that much, so I thought I'd just speak a couple of minutes about the actual fans forum where people say, you know, who are who are the fans who are going to be talking to the Glazers who, who picks them and everything, and basically we've had this fans forum for quite a few years now, and there is meetings that take place like once a quarter or something like that there's currently 11 members on the fans forum and they're taken all from like different kind of of our fan groups so there's somebody there from must a guy called ian sterling who i know and he's yeah been a long long time working with must and the imusa and things like that and he is somebody, I think, who will be leading a lot of this and asking the big questions of Joel Glazer. There's another guy there, uh, Rick, who's from TRA, the Red Army. They're the guys who were very involved in when the singing section was going on, and now the things that are going on in that bottom side of the Stretford End right side, where they're getting, you know, standing sections coming over there. So, yeah, he kind of leads that group over there. Then there's also somebody who represents the disabled fans, somebody from the family stand, one of somebody from... From a supporters club, um, somebody from the local area. So there's kind of 11 different sections. There's going to be 11 different fans there. Um, you can actually go on the Man United website and see exactly who these people are. There is also the opportunity for anyone to send in questions that you want to be asked at the Fans Forum. Uh, you know, you go on there, whether you're a member, whether you're a season ticket holder, and you pick who's your kind of representative and you can send in what you would like to be asked there and they are supposed to be our representatives. So yeah, if you have anything you think should be asked to the Glazers, send your questions through there and let's see what's get asked. I mean, we obviously... There's going to be a lot of focus on transfers and things like that. For me, actually, more interesting is what happens with the stadium. Uh, You know, there's a lot of stories now about the stadium needs work. And I know you've been a long-time season ticket holder like me. And, you know, I I think sometimes people go a bit overboard as if Old Trafford's falling apart or something like that, which is not the case. But when you look at a lot of the brand-new stadiums that a lot of clubs have, and then there is definitely a lot of work to be done over there uh, for improvement and just to improve kind of a lot of the uh, match day experience for people. I mean, is that something? The, yeah, you felt on Old Trafford that there has money needs to be spent in there. Oh,
1: absolutely. It's. Uh, I think I've said it on the last pod, but the, the stadium investment has been just non-existent, really. Um, yeah, and if you if you consider that Arsenal have put more into their new stadium, newish two thousand five in the years since then that we have into our stadium then that should that 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 tells you something doesn't it um and all the money i think the the money has that has gone in is like i think there's some for wheelchair access and um i think they did some around hospitality but in terms of actual quality of life improvements there's been zero yeah absolutely the case and
2: You know, we do have an issue because obviously we have this whole old historic ground, which I think is great. And I do not really want to see us moving to a new stadium. And I think there's very little chance of it under the glazes because they are never going to put up the kind of investment it'll take to build a new stadium. And I think I saw that Real Madrid are finally moving and it's going to cost them something like the best part of a billion euro uh, to be moving to a new stadium. And there's absolutely no way that our owners are going to move to that. But we don't need that, though. No, we like, don't. We just need some improvements that, yeah, there isn't water leaking in from the top. And, that, you know, even seats and things like that is overly cramped, overly, you know, amount of seats like crammed in everywhere. I mean, one thing I am looking forward to and some money has been spent, but I think maybe this is quite a cheap thing for the club is that we will have an actual standing area uh, next season for the first time. So, yes, yeah, small things do get spent in the ground, but they're not major investments. There's a few million here, a few million there. Uh, there's nothing that you know, a proper, It's always just like kind of plasters just to keep things going. There's not the long-term kind of investment. And as well, it's only the training facilities and things like that where, you know, city down the road have got brand spanking everything new whereas we kind of keep improving but there has been these stories especially coming out about like the women's team and things like that where we need investment in that kind of side of the club uh, so yeah this is what everybody's going to be wanting to see from this fans forum um, also you know this question marks about offering shares up to the fans and uh, certain questions on what what is going to be the long term plan I mean yeah for me as somebody who's followed these events with owners and everything for a long time it's going to be very interesting uh, to see what comes out there and more than actually what's followed up on it because you know anybody can talk and offer but we have to see what the glazers do in real concrete terms uh you know i'm sure they'll promise a lot and then we have to actually see it happen uh, and if it doesn't then i'm sure yeah we'll see all these protests kick off again when we're back in the stadium next season mm. uh you know we've been out of it way too long uh I knew it saw the fans out there in Gdansk and all and kind of felt like I wish I was there. But in the end, maybe, you know, you don't mind missing it when it's quite a disappointing one. But yeah, often with these trips, though, anyway, when you go away, um, what goes on outside of the game is actually more kind of fun and all than the actual game anyhow. So it's not kind of a big problem when you lose it. So I'm sure the
1: guys who did make it out to Gdansk had a good one. Mm, I don't um, know. I'll tell you, when I went to when I went to Moscow in 2008, yeah, uh, I I specifically remember when John Terry was coming to his penalty, just thinking we have spent so much money to come out here <laughs> all this time, and it's going to be absolutely worthless, like a memory I'll I'll never want to remember. And then he missed, and it was the best thing ever. But I do, I do well, that sp- was it? I, uh, yeah, I same specifically for me. I remember that. No, I mean, look, I, I've been on others,
2: though, where, I mean, that was the best one for me, but I've been on plenty, like, Euro away trips where we've not had a good result. I've seen us losing Istanbul, I've seen us losing Basel, I've seen us losing
1: Marseille. Yeah, I still think, had, I think like, when it's not a final, I think it's, like, well, yeah, I've been to Barcelona and we've drawn, it's like, you know, just going to Barcelona for the day was pretty nice, but, but yeah, yeah, I think when it's a it, final, I think it's you know, a, it's quite a it's quite a different story. Oh,
2: it is, it is, and, like, you know, it will be gutting, but I'm sure people, they still have a good trip. And often, like you say, off those trips, yeah, it was actually the football that ruined the trip. Everything was great until we went to the match. Um, But, yeah. but yeah look anyway it's still a good sign fans back in stadiums there will be some of the Euros that's one thing I've been a bit gutted about because I actually had tickets to go to Spain Bilbao for the Euros and I've had to take a refund because one Bilbao are not hosting it at all and then anyway when I went in the ballot for this being moved to Seville um, I didn't get a ticket so yeah unfortunately we'll not be going to any of the Euros games like a lot of people yeah a lot of disappointed people getting money back but there is still that football to go on there Uh, before we We finish a shout out to our sponsors Manscaped and thanks to all our Listeners who've bought through Manscaped, there uh, is more than all any uh, that we expected, and it really does help the podcast. So thanks for all that support. Do head over to Manscaped.com and use the code United Hour. Uh, you know I uh, tried some of their products, and yeah, the best one is still that full performance package, which has that lawn mower and the crop preserver potions, pair of boxer shorts, and that is really their kind of best product that everybody should go and check out. Um, manscaped.com the code united hour and then yeah hit us up on the socials and all that Uh, thanks as well like we've had a couple of new patreons in the last week or so everybody supporting us it really does help us we will keep going through the summer i know we have actually been a bit slack on putting out extra patreon content so we will try and sort that out now that we've got a bit of time Uh, we have a few kind of plans for doing different things this summer and maybe trying to get a few guests on so yeah look out for that stuff and, yeah, we will be back next week, as I say, focusing on things like transfers, the Euros, the fans' forum. Uh, but, yeah, disappointing end to the season, but still, progress is
1: there, and we're still behind Ole, right, Imran? Mm, more, you more than me, but I'm I'm, I'm there. <laughs> You're at the front. I'm, like, somewhere in the middle. Yeah, all right. <laughs> Thanks, all. Good night. Cheers.
0: Sports Social Podcast Network. 18 plus.